This is the second message in a series of what I'm calling What Is. And it's kind of a dotted line there. Various subjects that we're picking out. Normally, my messages have been, say, from a certain passage or a whole book. But this one is more topical-centered. But thankfully, today... I'm actually drawing from one book, one source, and that's Ephesians, the whole letter to the Ephesians by Paul. So in many ways, this is a, an Ephesians message, but we will uh, do it more justice at a later date. Kent Penner has been doing a lot of work in the book of Ephesians, and I would love to see Kent develop a whole series on the book of Ephesians. For us, and so when he gets back, let's twist his arm and uh, see if we can get him to, maybe even if it's piecemeal, give us his insights on uh, Ephesians. But we're going to focus today on what is the church, and when we say church, what do we think about? Okay, here is my earliest understanding of what the church was. My grandparents, my mother's parents, were Roman Catholic. And we lived with our grandparents for a while. And I remember going with my grandmother to the Catholic church. All I can remember is everything was dark. And there were candles. And then off in the sides were these statues and it was scary. And I was probably only five or six years old. That was my first impression of church. Alina is agreeing. <laughs> same, same uh, experience, yes. Then, when I was 11, there was trouble in the family. My parents divorced. My mother eventually married again. And... Her husband didn't want me, and I can understand why. I forgive him, <laughs> nor my younger brother, to live with them. So he sent us to our father. And then after that year, we were sent down to California, where I was raised by the uncle and aunt that I spoke about last week when I was 11. They had a, a little baby she was actually one year old when I came to live with them. And I remember my aunt sitting her on her lap and sharing a, uh, a rhyme that went like this. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. How many have heard that? <laughs> well, that was my impression of the church. And as I grew then in my understanding, by the way, I mentioned last week, I came to the Lord that year in a tent meeting, a big tent with probably several hundred people. An evangelist was preaching. I was convicted and I went forward. Yes, they had sawdust on the floor, of this tent and they had these hard benches and I went up to the front 
and knelt down and prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart to cleanse me and make me a missionary. I didn't even know what a missionary was, but I wanted to be one. Well, you know what? You need to be careful what you ask God to do because he takes us at our word. Anyway, yes, I did become a missionary. Well, I cheated a little bit because I married a missionary's daughter. So that's how I kind of got in the back door, becoming a missionary. Nonetheless, through the years, the next 15 years, my concept and my understanding of what the church was drastically, I mean drastically, changed from what I experienced when I was young to what I began to understand as the Lord raised up a church in our house, Katie's my home, in Washington State, a church that began as just neighbors coming to a Bible study. And then they sharing that with their neighbors. And soon, well, over a period of four years, we had different house groups meeting together in Bellevue, Washington. And at that point, God called us, especially significantly, to Japan. And one of the first pastors of the English congregation Don and Vivian Bruck, wonderful, wonderful missionaries, wonderful, wonderful people. They inspired us for Japan. We received a burden from them. And we even had them at our house church in Bellevue several times. Well, one of the things that you know about missionaries is they're always asking for money. Well, the two things they're asking for, prayer and for money. We faced the same problem, but God answered in a very specific way. We needed support. And so Don and Vivian, bless their hearts. They said, well, we know a bunch of churches that love missionaries. And so we went with them for three churches and shared our hearts, our passion for Japan, where we'd never been before. (laughs) But one dear lady gave us $5. And she supported us on that $5 for many, many years until she passed away. But our house church and the house churches in Bellevue that were associated with our house church said, we'll support you. They wanted to get rid of us. So (laughs) they said, we'll support you fully. They supported us for 25 years here in Japan. We never went around to other churches after that. We think that is what the Lord wants of his church. It's a shame in many ways that missionaries, even missionaries from Japan that go to other countries, have to go all over Japan asking for help. We should be supporting our missionaries fully from our body, the ones that we send out. I think that was the model that the New Testament had. We need to be doing the same. We need to get back to that. But anyway, that was kind of the development of what our understanding of what the church is. 
It was not. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. No. The church doesn't necessarily have a steeple. Nor even a building like we're blessed to have here in this church. We can meet anywhere. In fact, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. I truly believe that where two or three people are gathered together in Jesus' name, they constitute the church. Not the church, because his church is universal. Now that's all my introduction. And let's dive in here. What is the church? The church is his body. The church is his building. And the church is his bride. Let's look at some verses. First of all, here's an introductory verse or verses. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16:5 to 7, But now I am going to him, Jesus is saying, him meaning the Father, who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, you have sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is this helper? It's the Holy Spirit. The three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Who we have as resident in our hearts because of our belief in Jesus Christ. Every one of us who call ourselves Christians, who have named Jesus Christ as your Savior, have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God if Jesus has come into your life. That's a promise. That is his token of his love, not just a small token, but a huge gift to us of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The church is his body, Jesus' body. Now, when we think of body, we think of our own bodies. And in many ways, the church, as we see it, as we look around in this group, as well as other churches that we have been to or have fellowship with, we are made up of people that have the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes that identity, that connection, that attachment, that relationship in Jesus Christ because of our confession of Jesus Christ as our Savior. We talked last week about baptism and what that does for us, what that is as a sign for us that we have identified with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Very simply, very basically, that's what it means to be a Christian. You've confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and he has given you the promise of his Holy Spirit to live in you, and you become a new creature. 
That's the body of Christ. We have these bodies, but together, corporately, here in this place, this is the body of Christ. As we've gathered together, he is here with us. Two or three? No. 33? No. 103? It doesn't matter. Even if two of you agree, that's the body of Christ being expressed. You can boil it down that far. It's the Holy Spirit who has come to his people, the church, and filled us with the spirit of Jesus, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he, God the Father, put all things in subjection under his Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Basic definition of the church, the body. Ephesians 2, 14 to 23 For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one, Jews and Gentiles, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, the temple, which excluded mostly the Gentiles, although they had a court for the Gentiles, which I've described before. That was the place where Jesus had to go in and drive the animals out because it was desecrated. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. And you have made it a den of thieves. And so he talked about these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, making up the church. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity or the resentment, the opposition which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus has brought the Old Testament church and the New Testament church together. He is the one who has united us into one body. And as I was thinking about that, you know, that's really what the cross is, isn't it? It's stretching far down in history to Adam, Abraham, David, and all the saints in the Old Testament. Passing the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and passing it on to us who are in the New Testament, you and I, and all of those who proceeded in what we call the church. That is the church. Have it in your understanding That is the church. The sign of the cross is a significant symbol demonstrating, come to me all you who labor full of sin and sorrow and sadness and you will find rest 
to your souls. That's the cross. You can read it in my son's book in kanji. Ephesians 3, 4, and 7 talks about the body as well. By referring to this, when we read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. And this is Paul speaking, of course. Church is his body. Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. These are powerful, encompassing words for us to meditate and think about when we are talking about the church. Ephesians is dedicated to telling us who we are, the church. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's where we're going. That is where we all should be moving toward in understanding who Jesus is and what he wants us to be as his representatives here in the world. That's why the cross is so important to us. That's why sin and the death that Jesus died for us is so important to the gospel. There's no other way. And that is the the joy that we have. That is the experience that we must share. We must share this. This must not be just pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's why I desire to be passionate in this pulpit, to be able to share and encourage you and urge you to share this with your relatives, to share it with your friends, to share it out on the street, wherever you have opportunity. God will bless that. Remember, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Philip understood that when he ran after the chariot and this Ethiopian was racing along in his chariot back to Ethiopia. And Philip joined himself to this man, got up in his chariot. And as they were going along and the horse was huffing and puffing and pulling them faster and faster down to Ethiopia, the man sees water and he says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Whoa! Stop the chariot. There's water. Nothing stops you from being baptized. Nothing stops you from entering into the greatest institution in the history of man, 
the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. That's what it is when we are baptized. It's a demonstration that he is the one who is living inside me. And I, with my body, join together with the body of Christ, other believers, in being that unique person, that unique person who is chosen. You know, when we look at the word church, we do think of the steeple, the people, the structure. That word church actually does not mean what we think it means. It is not a building as such. It is a group of people who have been called, chosen, elected. We use the word, you've probably heard the word ecclesia. Ecclesia means elected. What kind of election? Well, the original word in the Greek actually means a mayor, a president, a committee member, an elected official. It had no relationship to the church of Jesus Christ. But we adopted that word. And now the word church actually is a religious term when in the beginning it was a secular political term. Why? How did it switch? Because of the early Christians' influence on the Roman society and they knowing that they were the elected ones in Jesus Christ. And they began to call themselves Ecclesia or the church. Or as it is in, actually there is a word kuriakos in Greek and it means actually, I don't have it in my notes. Who speaks Norwegian or Swedish here or German? Anybody speak German? Okay, how do you say church in German? Kirche. Kirche, yes. That comes from that Greek word. And that means specifically those a gathering together. And that's where we got our word church. The Swedes say kirk. The Norwegians have a very similar word to that. So... This word is a misnomer in some ways, but it really defines us who are uniquely called together by Jesus Christ to be his peculiar people. That's who we are. That's our identity in Jesus Christ, to him. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, but speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I think uh, we shared this uh, last year. These joints and this... uh, Fitting together is very, very important. That's why now I'm uh, 77 years old and there's a disconnect between my brain and my lips sometimes and what comes out. But, you know, my arms are still pretty good. You want to arm wrestle there, uh, 
Mel, come on, let's go ahead. You're you're not up to it today? Yeah, okay, okay. But, see, I couldn't arm wrestle if I didn't have a connection with my elbow to my shoulder to my brain. But the point is, every joint, our joining, what joints do we see and know in this congregation? Just think about it. If you want to, just look around the room. Those you're sitting next to. What joints do we have? God has given us some very strong joints. And even as I said last week, it was so good for Katie and I to get back to MCC. Sure, we love our family. We love our kids. But, you know, after a while, after you uh, wiped a few runny noses, it's time for us to get back and be with normal people. (laughs) It's good to be back to MCC. There's so many joints that are connecting us. And we love it. And we trust that you are loving it too. Those of you who are relatively new are experiencing that, where the uh, parts of the body are reaching out to you. Let's increase that. Let's grow as a body. Not just in numbers, but spiritually, strength, praying for one another, building one another up, understanding what our part is in the walk of one another. That is the Christian life. That's the life breath of the church. The church is his building. This building is not a church. You got it? This building is not the church. These chairs are not the church. This mic is not the church. Any of these things? No. Totally divorced. The church are the people that God has redeemed to himself and brings us together to fellowship in consistency, building one another up, being jointed together. That is the church, not a physical building. And that's what Paul says we are, is a building for his glory, for his habitation. That was the song that we sang at the offertory. This is my rest. This is my rest forever. Who said those words? Who said these words? This is my rest forever. Here shall I dwell. For the Lord has chosen Zion for his habitation. We are the people of God. We are the place of his rest. Think about that. When you're upset and you are feeling like, oh, Lord, I need rest. No. Lord, come and take habitation. Make yourself known to me. And I rest together with you. And I find with you my rest. And he finds rest with me. Wow. That will change our perspective on the Christian life. The church is his building. Ephesians 2, 19-22, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That should be our life verses. That is who we are in him. A holy temple. So when I go out into this world, I am his holy temple. That's how he sees me. That's how he sees you. If you're in Jesus Christ. The church is his bride. This is a good one. It's not a very... It's kind of a scary passage, but because of the deep meaning that it has. Ephesians 5:22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, it's time for the service to end. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we husbands, we like this verse. We memorized it. I quote it to Katie all the time. Not really. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. No, no, I'm not going to go that far. I'm like Christ and I'm going to be a savior to Katie. Uh, I think that's what's implied. That we as husbands need to take that position of protection, of covering. Remember when we talked about Ruth, I think, we back several months ago. Ruth went to the threshing floor where Boaz had worked all day threshing wheat and he laid down to sleep. And Ruth, yeah, Ruth went there and uncovered his feet. First of all, when a guy's feet get cold, he wakes up. But then she says, cover me. And he says to her, cover you. I will cover you. So go back home. And I will do what needs to be done. A huge picture of a husband and a wife. I am Katie's covering. If you are a husband, if you're a husband, you need to know how to cover your wife. That God has called you to cover your wife. Very important for a Christian marriage. We need to know that as men. He's our example. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. And he covers us. There are so many times when we have missed it here at MCC. And he doesn't just cover over our sin, but he exposes it so that he can make it right. And I think that's what's happening these days. And we need to pray for MCC. That that covering not be lost. Not be abandoned or forgotten. We need to pray for our brothers and the sisters that are, are in leadership in the Japanese church. 
right now. They are very, very vulnerable. We need to encourage them as leaders so that we don't lose the covering of that headship. And the Lord has promised that he himself is the Savior. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Thank you, Katie, for your ministry to me as a wife and being subject to me. I need that. And you need my covering. And together, we exemplify what Jesus Christ intended for us as a church. Does that speak to our hearts? Amen. Okay, here it goes, guys. Ephesians 5, 28 and 30. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of the body. That's why I love weddings. I told you last week one of the most joyous things is to see a baptism. And I said it was similar to what? A marriage. And there's always two people that are the most important in both the baptism and in marriage. That's the one who is receiving baptism in regards to baptism and the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to be that person of most importance to you as a believer, a new believer. And in a, in a marriage also, there's only two people that are the most important. It's not the pastor or the one officiating. It's the bride and the groom together. And that's the picture that Paul is talking about. We are his bride. Sometimes that's hard for us as men to kind of get our sense of masculinity out of the way and understand what God has called us to. But nonetheless, we have become part of the bride of Christ. And what is the ring? What is the ring? It's that covenant promise of whoever comes to me will be saved. Their sins are forgiven. They are saints. They are the redeemed. His promise is that ring. That ring that is the promise of covenant to us as his bride. Our salvation. Cherish it. Let's bow in prayer. Father, These words were not uh, that eloquent, but your word is. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to use these words and the word of God in our hearts these days. As we come to understand what the church really is. And that we will love the church as you love the church and gave yourself for her. And as we've already prayed We pray for the churches throughout Japan. Right now, there's many negative things that we could say about your church here, particularly in 
comparing it to other countries and nationalities and societies where the church is. We pray for the Church of Japan. Oh Lord, continue to reveal yourself to her, who she really is. Add to the church. Multiply the church. Build up the church. Allow it to come into its own here in this land. Where at one time, hundreds of years ago, there was a church here. But the enemy beat it down, burned it, crucified it, slaughtered it. Have mercy on Japan. Bring your people together. We're so divided. Bring us together in one man so that we understand what the Church of Jesus Christ really stands for. That you spread out your arms and included all of those who confess you as Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Thank you for this time together with this expression of your body. We pray for MCC. You see us as one church, Japanese and English, internationals. Continue to unite us and to bring us together so that in this place, not particularly this building, but in this place, in this town, in this part of Tokyo, there would be a great light shining of your truth, the witness of Jesus Christ. He is alive, and the Holy Spirit is filling each one of us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.